0: This is a lot. COVID-19 alone was a lot. And then George Floyd's death happened. There was also Ahmaud Arbery and Brianna Taylor, but George's prolonged and particularly cruel death has taken us by storm. The protests are justified. The looting and the riots are not, but that's not the whole of our focus. On top of this, my wife and I had a close friend die last week, literally the day after George Floyd. So my head has been spinning. Last week when we recorded, I mentioned George's name at the beginning of the prayers of the people. The protests really didn't pick up in our country until the weekend, but I knew that today we had to address this directly. I knew that silence is not an answer. I knew that I could not deliver to you a spiritual sermon that doesn't address the actual needs in our world on this day. So I invite you today to hear these words of Jesus in Matthew 18. He says, be careful that you don't look down on one of these little ones. I say to you that their angels in heaven are always looking into the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If someone had 100 sheep and one of them wandered off, wouldn't he leave the 99 on the hillsides and go in search for the one that wandered off? If he finds it, I assure you that he is happier about having that one sheep than about the 99 who didn't wander off. In the same way, my Father who is in heaven doesn't want to lose one of these little ones. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me as I pray this prayer that Kate Bowler shared this week. Blessed are we, the weary and weak and sore, with only the merest ember left burning, but who still say, breathe on me, God. Breathe life into my tired body, my heavy limbs. Bring light to the dark corners of my mind. Breathe comfort into my sad heart and kindle my awareness of what I was meant to be and do. Blessed are we who turn our gaze to seek the one who truly sees us and knows us, like newborns whose bleary sight focus to find adoring eyes beaming down, delighting and filling, mirroring and multiplying. Blessed are we who discover we are loved and held in arms that are strong enough to hold what we cannot. Amen. I find myself being far too calculated. I avoided attending Moral Monday protests in 2013 for fear of being seen by people who would take it wrong at my church. I have at times skirted topics of sexuality and racial justice for fear of alienating people. I've been jealous of colleagues who are able to more prominently speak out. Either they don't care about upsetting people like I have, or they're in ministry situations where they know most people will agree with them. But friends, after George Floyd, we have to see that this is not going away. And I don't mean that the protesters and the riots aren't going away. I mean that we have an issue in our society. We have a cancer in our culture. In Jesus' famed Good Samaritan story, he is instructing us who our neighbor is. So the priest and the Levite, the holiest People both see the man suffering after being beat up and left for dead. And they move on to the other side of the road, turning their heads away and acting like they cannot see. We cannot be like the priest and the Levite anymore. I cannot shove it aside any longer, hoping that this latest killing is just an anomaly and that justice will eventually prevail. Because without our help, justice won't prevail. We have a calling to love our neighbor. And our black brothers and sisters are our neighbors. Atticus Finch famously said, You really never understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. We need a healthy and holy dose of empathy today. Many of us do not understand and will never understand what it is like to be inside the skin of a young black man today. We don't have to raise our kids to talk about how to respond to the police from a young age. Well, we might be wondering how to have the talk with our children. My black brothers and sisters are having to have a different talk altogether with their children. And friends, if we first focus on the riots and on the needless destruction of property, then we are focusing on the wrong thing. For the reason why there are anger and protests, protests which are mostly nonviolent and completely legal protected by the First Amendment of our Constitution, is because innocent life was taken away. And this innocent life, once again, was the life of a young black man. In a speech delivered in 1967, entitled The Other America, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. spoke these words, I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air, Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. Friends, I want you to hear that line again. He says, What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice. Equality and humanity. When we are silent, when we walk on the other side of the road or turn away from the situation our brothers and sisters are in, we are upholding the status quo. We want our tranquility more than we want justice. We want everyone to just get along, but we don't want any policies to change that could mess up our comfortable lives. Our gospel reading today tells the story of a famous parable of Jesus about the shepherd who had 100 sheep. He counted his sheep one day and only counted 99. Sheep were the shepherd's entire livelihood, so when one sheep wandered off, Jesus asked the rhetorical question, what did the shepherd do? Well, of course, he left the other 99 sheep to go and find that one sheep who was lost. Did the shepherd still care about the 99? Absolutely. But he needed all of the sheep in his flock. Friends, identifying black sheep Lives matter is not saying that all lives don't matter. It is acknowledging that there are sheep who need to be pursued with love right now, at this moment. There is a man who cried out under another man's knee for eight minutes, saying that he could not breathe, begging for his life, calling for his mother. All Lives Matter unintentionally trivializes that experience of that sheep. It is saying that the 99 sheep are jealous of the attention that the shepherd is paying to the one. Our response as followers of Jesus cannot be to trivialize or look over this single sheep because this sheep's life matters to God. All through the scriptures, we see God's relentless pursuit and care for the marginalized person, for the outcast, for the unprotected. God calls upon the people of Israel to care especially for the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. Jesus called upon his disciples to look out for the children and the poor in their midst. My friends who are white, we cannot stand by silently. Even though you personally did not do anything, we are all complicit in this system that creates and maintains policies that hurt and oppress people of color. That is why we pray and confess our corporate sin and also our sins of omission. This morning we confess to what we have done and what we have left undone. This is daunting to pray. When I start to think about it, I have a lot more to confess that is left undone than the things that I have done. When most of us say that we are not racist or that we would never condone such things as George Floyd's death, we are simply stating that we did not commit the sin that the police officer did. But when we allow the behavior to go on unchecked, when we move through life without working for equality for all people, when we are content that our friend circles are people who look and think just like us, then we are upholding the status quo. I uphold the status quo myself. I want the protest to be over so that I can go back to the illusion that life is just fine. But my brothers and sisters of color never get to do that. There is no illusion for them that life is just fine. I find the words of Philippians 2 especially instructive and especially challenging today. Paul encourages the Philippians to model their entire lives off the example of the incarnation of Jesus. He calls upon the Christians there at Philippi to a level of humility that is extremely difficult to follow. First, he calls upon them, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Paul first calls for unity from this community by having them to attempt union in Christ that they would hold their thoughts and preconceived notions captive to Jesus' work in their lives. If we stopped here in the text, we could say that maybe what Paul wants us to do is find a spiritual solution. If we just prayed for our country more, then people could get along and we could get past this troubling time. But then Paul says these words, Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Think of others as better than yourselves. Watch out for what is better for others. Our problem is indeed a spiritual problem, but it has to be addressed with our bodies Minds, emotions, and whole selves. We have to become the answer to our own prayers. So what can we do about it? How do we pursue people with love in such a way that change begins to happen? Well, first thing we can do is to do small things. Sometimes we get paralyzed because the problem seems so huge and so beyond our control. This is why I think we often turn away after the spotlight has faded on a particular event. I encourage you to move towards people like young black men instead of moving away from them. Intentionally get to know people of color in your life this begins to slowly erode the biases that all of us indeed have. Great things can indeed be done through individuals, but great movements really happen through a lot of people doing small things. Every parable of Jesus seems to be about the kingdom coming in small and unexpected ways. The second thing we can do is seek to understand we have to take real action to follow in the way of the shepherd. We need to start with understanding by trying to place ourselves in someone else's skin. Read stories of people of color's experience. Watch Just Mercy today. Read books like America's Original Sin, How to Become an Anti Racist, White Fragility, or Reconstructing the Gospel, just to name a few that are out there right now. There are so many excellent resources out there that exist to help us understand how the world is where it is. Many of us aren't historians, but we have a responsibility to understand that these events that are taking place are not a new phenomenon. The killing of innocent black bodies is a 400-year-old story in this country. Many of you lived through turbulent times of race in this country long before I was here. You may have worked hard for civil rights in the 1960s or been a child during that time wondering what was happening. And I encourage us all to seek better, to understand. The third thing we can do is to do something, not just say something. Posting on social media doesn't accomplish a thing. In this age, we often feel like we have to speak up about something on social media immediately. The reality is our audience on that platform is relatively small. And when we post things, we can feel self-righteous, like we did our good deed. In her article this week in The Atlantic, Rebecca Carroll writes, I want white people to stop killing us. But I also want white people to stop watching us get killed, to disarm their emotional paralysis in the face of dehumanization or worse. And that will require something more than tweets and hashtags from well-meaning white people, and more than even traditional activism coupled with appeals for concrete policy change. It will demand intervention, if not a physical intervention, then a moral one. Once you have taken time to understand, take some concrete action. Join and support a network like the NAACP. Attend a peaceful protest that you feel called to attend. Work for issues about justice like housing or learning gaps or food insecurity, all of which affect communities of color at a far higher rate. In Isaiah 58, God calls through the prophet Isaiah, isn't this the fast I choose, releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke? Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? In other words, God equates right worship with just living Micah 6 8 likewise asks us what the Lord requires of us to do. And the response is simple, but ever so hard to practice. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Friends, I have been complicit far too long with the status quo. I confess to you today my sin of omission. I have ignored the plight of my black brothers and sisters. I have hoped that the problems of our society and its policies would simply disappear. And I pledge to do small things that seek to understand the realities for my brothers and sisters. And I promise that I will seek justice as part of my life of discipleship. Perhaps we are the 99 sheep And we need to join the shepherd in desperately seeking our friend. Amen.